Hey guys, welcome to an all-new Artsy Fartsy Immigrants. Today we have a very special guest, the long-awaited, very kind, very hilarious, Laura Ramoso. Enjoy. really happy that you are on here i've uh i've hyped like having you on this little podcast for so long now <laughs> oh my god i'm so happy to be here don't call it little it's the biggest podcast in the world <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah pushing joe rogan like off the off the cliff where he belongs oh yeah no he's done <laughs> he belongs in the ocean exactly um but yeah i mean so you're you know, you lived in Canada for a long time, but I want to, so let's just start like from total scratch. Um, I mean, we know each other a little bit from the internet now. I've been watching your videos for a long time. You've grown this huge audience uh, as a sketch comedian and content creator, um, actress. And, but I want to know a little bit like, you know, I know your mom worked at the World Health Organization. Um, yeah. So, where were you born and you know where did that take you because i think that's a big part of your story right yeah totally um so i uh, as we all know my mom's german and my dad's italian and um i was born in italy in lignago uh in the mid 90s and uh because my mom worked for the world health organization we moved around a lot so before i turned a year old uh we'd moved to cameroon in uh, west africa the in Douala, cameroon we lived there for six years, then we moved to Azerbaijan for three years, then we did China for five, and then we did Vietnam for three. And that's uh, that's when I graduated from high school and I decided to move to Canada to pursue further studies and my parents kept traveling. And through this sort of upbringing, we would go back to Germany or Italy, mostly Italy, to be honest, in the summers and for Christmas, um, and then back to where my mom was stationed. So that's kind of my my childhood. They call it a third culture kid upbringing. Yeah, it's very international school story in a sense. Totally. Yeah. There's so many uh, Americans living in Munich that I've met who all kind of have the similar story of like a military parent. You know, when you yeah. when you tell the story of moving around so much, do you get asked if you're in this situation too? Sorry. Yes, no, you're totally right. And I went to school with uh, with a number of military kids as well. So uh, it's either uh, that sort of family or um, people who work in global health or stuff like that. Uh, very much same international school vibe. Did these uh, like first countries in your youth have any effect on you, you think? Did you grab anything or was it too 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 young, you think? Um, I mean, they definitely had an effect. This upbringing had a big effect on me, I would say, um, in many ways. For comedy specifically, um, or the way that my comedy kind of was born, because um, I love to do observational comedy, like very day-to-day -day people you meet or the situations you find yourself in. You know, I kind of don't do political stuff or or any of, of the big like commentary on macro things. And I think, yeah, right, right. And I think, I don't know um, how it is for you, but I think it's because when I was growing up in all of these different 
um, cultures and with all these different people from many different backgrounds, we hardly had much in common except the kind of normal things that happen to us on the day-to-day that are sort of um, universal human experiences. So we related over those things, you know, like what our parents were like and 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 like stuff like that. So I think that's why I enjoy doing observational comedy. Yeah, I mean, that definitely makes sense that that's kind of an origin story for that. Um, so you were only going to Canada originally because you wanted to go to school there. Yes, I wanted to go to university okay. in Canada. I I wanted to go to the university in North America. I've never, I'd never lived in North America, and I was sort of infatuated by it through, you know, those movies, North the college experience, and I wanted the red solo cup and the parties <laughs> and the, yeah. So, and the U.S. scared me. It was intimidating. So I thought Canada seemed pretty good. There's a lot more guns. There's a lot more guns in the States. There's a lot more guns uh, in the States. Wh- like so many guns, like way yes. more guns than you'd think. <laughs> exactly. And um, how did you land you the, know, on the university? Like, how did you find the university that you wanted to go to? Okay. Uh, so I went to the University of Victoria in Victoria, BC, British Columbia. And I they had a theater program that I really liked. And uh I was in my counselor's office in high school and I saw a poster of the campus on her wall and I thought it looked really beautiful. And I don't know, that sounds like a stupid story, I think, to just see a poster, but it worked out uh, and it uh, it was good. It it ended up working out and the theater program was good. So that's how I chose. I don't know. My parents think it's because I wanted to be as far away as possible from when they, where they were. Parents, Um, yeah. Parents would think that. I mean, that's kind of what they, they, that's kind of what they do. But I don't think that's, I don't think that's so irrational. I think a lot of things are chosen based off of like the simplest instincts sometimes. You know, I mean, the the only reason like you went to, you did a theater program and I did a film program. So it's not too Uh far apart there. But like literally the only reason why I chose the school that I went to, the University of New Orleans, is because my dad had basically moved us to Louisiana and my goal and dream and passion like would die on this hill, like so intense, you know, teenager dream. Uh, yeah. It's like, oh I'm God, going to, like, I'm going to be like a Wes Anderson. Like I'm going to be a writer, yes. director, you know. I never, yeah. at the time I didn't even think about uh, like front of camera stuff at all. At all, yeah. you know, that was later in college. Like, and we'll talk about that, like joining improv groups and stuff. But yeah, um, yeah. But like, I went to the school and I met the the director of the program, and he just walked me and my dad around, and it was just like the basics. Like, here's our editing bay, <laughs> here's our you know our equipment room. You just like guys like roping up cables and shit. And then we just walked around. There was a cinema. They had just installed like a 4K cinema, and I just had these and Google, like, like eyes, you know. Uh, yeah. And cables my, you're like a bay an yeah bay. yeah <laughs> what is an yeah. xlr oh my god um, i know and my, i remember like my dad and i have always had a very uh rocky relationship but i'll never forget we were talking to the director of the of the department and i remember like he was he was he wasn't trying to like get us to sign anything that day he was like he was really cool actually um he was maybe in his 60s at the time and my dad told him in front of me I saw the I saw the look on my son's face. I think we're going to be like signing the program. Like I think he's like I think we're going to go here no doubt, you know. And it was that was what it was just that simple. Like I just saw the cinema and was like I want to go here, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think you kind of have to have that mindset at that age. 
um, you kind of have to have starry eyes yeah. um, to pursue it. I, I think it's You totally have to be necessary. delusional to pursue entertainment. I agree. I agree. It's, Sing it's, it really loud in the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like my even my mom said something the other day um, that rang so true because she's always been very supportive. And my dad was too, but it's just different. And she was always been very supportive. But she told me something that was kind of a truth that I always assumed, but was never like clarified very you know, openly. But um, on my last episode of this podcast, I did like a quick just solo thing, kind of talking about what's going on. And I had talked about some of the videos and, and like kind of where they're going. And I was so happy with things and how they're going. And my mom wrote me a really nice message. And she said, uh, like, we're so happy that you're getting to like make kind of a living off of something you enjoy doing so much. We were always worried that wouldn't happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, you know, that's a really nice message. It was really nice. She's she's uh, yeah. the queen of little sweet messages like that. And <laughs> all, um, were, mine you, isn't. were you a theater kid but, in in school? Like <laughs> like was that theater something that interested you before university? Yes, yes. Big theater kid, big drama kid. I did all the plays, all the musicals. I'm not a singer, but sometimes I don't know why high schools love to do really big ambitious musicals. Um, so I just did every one that I could and I loved drama class and it was my favorite class. Yeah. What would you say? Like, I mean, now you're doing something so like connected to that. Definitely. We'll get to your, your stage, uh, performances and things like that. But mm -hmm. you know, when you were having these passions for theater before you knew you would end up in Canada, what were some, you know, what were some plays or what were some, some playwrights or actresses or actors that you, you know, idolized? Um, so I definitely, this'll, this'll, uh, fit into the, the comedy of it. I, my first, um, comedy education and, um, stage, oh, did it cut out? No, it didn't. I'm going to say that again. This fits into comedy, um, because my first, um, comedy education, uh, slash at, theater education at all was watching the Italian sketch comedy trio Aldo Giovanni Giacomo. Um, they're really popular in Italy and they do, they did TV sketches, but they also did these incredible live shows and I idolized them and redid their sketches for my parents all the time. And that was kind of the first um, stage and comedy performance I ever watched that made me go, wow, that's really incredible. Um, other than that, uh, I think I was into whatever we were doing at the time. I mean, we did Grease, the high school version. Um, we did, um, um, of course, now, you know, you ask me this question. I've forgotten every single name of play that I've ever done. But, um, oh, my first show I ever did was Jack and the Beanstalk. And ah, I was a okay. narrator. And I had to have my script on stage with me because I couldn't remember my lines. I got more professional as time went on, but that was really... Was narrator low. an onstage role or was it off to the side? It was on stage, um, and I was one of three parrots. I don't know why Jack and the Beanstalk, <laughs> the famous farm animal story, had parrots in it, tropical parrots. 
Um, of course. That was fun. We got to wear colorful, colorful costumes. I, I love that sort of stuff where it's always like the high school position always has things that would probably be better or more fitting just not on the stage, but because every kid has to have a, a, a place on the stage. They're like, you know, you yeah. could just read it here with this lamp and this desk off, <laughs> off stage, but you're in high no. school, so you're going to be a, yeah. an exotic parrot. <laughs> There's just like 126 kids on this one stage and yeah. It's so crazy. Huge production for high school. Yeah. That's basically how it started. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, and I guess you were, I mean, how are you getting your, I mean, I guess it's probably just the internet, but I was going to say, how are you getting this um, inspiration and this entertainment um, living in so many different places? Was it probably just your, your, you know, your dad showing you things? I wanted to ask, actually, because we are in Germany, were there German comedians as well or sketch writers that you found or not no, at all? No, you know, unfortunately, not at all. And that's not a comment on German comedy. You can take it if it is. Um, no, it's because my, my dad... <laughs> yeah, you can suck <laughs> um, it. My, my dad was very interested in comedy and very interested in... Um, he went to theater school, too, in his 30s, and, and he was a part of a troupe when he was young. So he was interested in showing me. And my mom... Um, she uh well she was a, she worked a lot and and my dad spent a lot of time with me watching stuff so we watched tom and jerry mr bean was a big thing for us aldo joan Giacomo. um so mainly those are the the first influences and it was from from my dad yeah i think mr bean is probably i mean he's he's maybe the most like inspirational first person in my whole world you know, yes, because he connects like w he doesn't need words. So anybody of any language of any age can understand like perfect, well-crafted slapstick. You know, yes. oh, my God, I was watching Mr. Bean at such a young age. And I don't even remember how I came across it. But in, uh, in like 2018, 2019, I had a day job at this elementary school in Munich. And it was like mm -hmm. an international uh, bilingual school. Yeah. And they even showed like during recess or you know whatever some sort of party or break they would show these mr bean compilations of like different sketches sort of thread together and it was so like so amazing to see these yeah. new uh you know two three four five year old kids like very very young oh no i guess it'd be six through nine but like six seven eight year old kids just laughing like belly laughing <laughs> it's something that's first off like 35 years old or more at yeah. this point you know and remembering laughing when I was their age. Yeah. It's such a, is there someone like Mr. Bean? I mean, you mentioned already the, the Italian group, but is there someone like mm -hmm. Mr. Bean in that way that you have just through and through since you were a kid will always laugh at anything they do if you see something like a TikTok video of like, you know, some clip, you know? Yeah. Um, this came later, but I, Kristen Wake, I will always laugh. Kristen Wiig is like um, God. She's basically, she's God. Yeah, she's God. She owns the heavens. Um, Bill Hader too. Um, but this generation yeah, of Bill. SNL was this, I mean, did you, were you too young to catch that group? Were you at the precipice of them changing out? Or was that, you know, the Hader, uh, Wig, Armisen, Tom, like Keenan, like were you, were you able to catch that group as it came on? No, I only 
became started to watch uh, SNL when I was like later when I was in university, and I think part some of them had already started trickling out, but I would just rewatch them on YouTube and stuff. Um, was, yeah, was something I, that like that whole uh, generation is very good. Oh my god, they always yeah. say um, that your favorite SNL cast is the one that you were watching when you were in high school, right? Which checks out, of course. I think that's similar to also music that you can always listen to, you know, Agree. for the most yeah. part. I mean, we had, you know, <laughs> I was born in 90s, so there's like, there's plenty of emo and stuff I wouldn't listen to oh, now, what? like Simple Plan or whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, like this cast, like Kristen Wiig, Jason Sudeikis, Bill mm -hmm. Hader, like mm -hmm. that was so pristine. And then getting Armisen yeah. to go into Portlandia. Mm -hmm. Like this group was just yeah. like, it was the perfect into college group that, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, it's, I can always watch that group. I can always watch it. There's no bad skit. Yeah, me too. And I always love to watch their interviews too. They're, they're just wonderful. Yeah. Are really wonderful performers. Um, you know, I, I didn't realize how recently actually some of your, um, progress was because if you watch your videos it it, se it does seem that you've been doing what you're doing right now with francis and with the with the digital mm -hmm. creation like you've been doing it just like this for 10 years or something it's it, <laughs> it comes across very very like polished which you know shows your wow. show is a you know a representation of your professionalism with that but i didn't realize Thank that you. just as far back as like 2017 you saw this uh, second city show let's talk about improv let's talk about second city where were you and how was that for you so I was um, I was still in Victoria and I graduated from theater school and I didn't really know what I was going to do. I mean, comedy was still not in my brain at all. I always kind of thought I'd be more of a dramatic classical actor. And um, even though I enjoyed the comedic roles and the comedic plays a lot more, I just thought that was just what you would enjoy more anyway. Um so honestly, after theater school, I thought, what am I going to do to continue my education? I, and then, you know, my mom wanted me to get a master's degree, as any German mom would. And um, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, where can I do that? But then also fulfill this creative um, um, desire. And I thought I would audition for Juilliard. And um, I did it one year. I went through a couple rounds and then I was not in. And then the second year in a row that I auditioned, I actually went to Chicago to do the audition. Um, bombed it. Horrible. Worst audition ever done in my life. However, um, when I was in Chicago, I thought, because uh, I'd heard about the Second City, kind of, and I knew it was comedy. So I decided to go watch a show at that same trip. And um, I, I don't know. I don't know if you believe in destiny um <laughs> but um, the eye roll oh uh, my god i know i don't know i don't know if you do i On some i things, find it interesting some things like some things are definitely unexplainable in that like they can't just all be chaos all the time like chaos means some yeah. things match up in such a perfect way you know yeah and it's that whole thing when it, one door closes and other one opens, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so I went to see this show and I was like the best show I'd ever seen in my life. And I'd never seen comedy like that. And I never seen, I never knew sketch comedy could be that way. And in that moment, in that theater, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. So then I was like, where do I move 
that's still not the States because I still wanted to stay in Canada. Toronto. Toronto had a second city. Um, still has one, but at the time was the only other city outside the States that had one. So then I moved to Toronto and started my comedy education. And then also because German mom still um, was like, you need to get a master's degree. So then I went to, uh, I went to get a business degree on the side. Uh, I went to get my MBA in entertainment management. Um, but I started doing comedy, learning, doing, and then like every class I could take, I took improv. Yeah. So I'd love to talk. I mean, improv, sketch, writing, everything. I just did everything. This is such like a major part of my identity as a human on this weird earth. Like something about Second City, Groundlings. Uh, do you know the Ascat? You know Ascat? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, finding that DVD of the perfect Amy Poehler performance, you know, yeah. seeing that at this pivotal age. I think I saw that when I was 17 at mm -hmm. this um, rental store in my hometown. Like seeing these people do things I didn't know that you did. Yeah. You know, I, of course, you know, growing up in the States, I knew SNL since I was born, but I didn't know what, what happens before that. I, yeah. And I yeah, didn't really, exactly. I didn't even like have the capacity to think about what they must be able to do before they get there. Yes. You know, maybe they're standups or maybe they're writers, but my brain wasn't even thinking about that. It was just like, oh, there's Adam Sandler cool there's yeah. david spade he's sarcastic i like that or whatever yeah you know and and how much they have to learn to be able to unlearn it and make it look totally natural like that yes. is was the biggest like a huge thing for me when i was going through it as well so just yeah big huge moment what's and, your, and i can see for for you as well just uh, i mean this is going to sound pretty inside baseball for people who have never been in theater improv but do you have a, a personal preference uh, between long form things like Harold or short form things a bit more in the vein of like whose line is it anyway? Something like that. I prefer long form. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think long form has it's a bigger uh, payoff, like huge payoff, more groundwork uh, and more patience, but I think huge payoff. And I think the funnest thing to see, like not fun to watch if done poorly, but like the greatest thing if done really well. Yeah, um, that's true. The best, the best show I've ever seen in my life was the Improvised Shakespeare Company uh, in San Francisco, and they do like an improvised Shakespearean play in um, iambic pentameter, and it's rhymes and it's off suggestions and it's narrative Shakespeare and also just in the moment, and it is oh my god, insane! It's absolutely crazy. It's it's um the amount of work that goes into being able to perform that kind of show is massive but then you and now now that they've perfected it it's like the most magical thing ever i think it just it can God. feel like magic is there like yeah. a, is there a youtube video of of one of their shows maybe somewhere? yeah yeah you look have to up improvised yeah. shakespeare i'll send it to you yeah, yeah i'll send it to you i have to see that because that's that's mind-blowing that's like it's already difficult enough yeah know, to, to be so and the thing was like you know i'm a little scatterbrained but being in, being on stage in any capacity, whether that was in my case, like originally music um, or when I was in college, it was always improv shows with, with our group of like between five and eight people as the time went on. But like being on that stage, you have to be so present. There, yeah. there isn't like an opportunity for you to daydream. And if you do, if you just happen to have something else on your mind, um, 
like fighting with a with a partner or uh, you know someone someone you had a you know whatever what who cares something on your mind uh, that can threaten so much the the story and the 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 thing you're building and it will threaten what you're supposed to set up for your team to such an extent oh, yeah. and like in your brain learns how to no matter what shut off everything else it's like the feeling of like not just you know silencing your phone but turning it off and leaving yeah. it like in this bucket at the airport like just off there's this feeling yeah, totally. of like ultimate freedom time feels different um you're you're like in my case it was like i felt this kind of confidence because i knew that i was like this um slippery little ghost that could just step into absolutely anybody's shoes i could be the janitor i could be the president yeah i could be you know whatever him his real name whatever it was just yeah. this freedom to be there and be present and be in it and i owe so much of like what little kind of comedy intuition i might have uh from our old um improv um troop leader his name was Corey Corey Dumasnil and he just you know he was a big um Scott Scott Ackerson uh is he from um um oh no what is it comedy bang bang comedy bang bang okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um Scott Ackerson is like this he's like the improv comedians improv comedian sort of thing like more behind yeah. the scenes but he had this comedy bang bang show and podcast um but he was such like a student of him and he brought into our group so many ways of thinking that I had just never never thought of before you know yeah yeah it's really incredible um an old instructor of mine who actually ended up being the director for Francis it described being in an improv scene like this like you have I don't know, now you can cut to video if you want you have this going on and then you have this going on so then you've got you in the scene or your character and that character in the scene and you're present in the scene and then you also have to be kind of on top as Laura, the improviser, surveying the scene and making decisions on the macro level, like where do I take this later? Or, you know, um, what does this mean for such and such character? Or where can we go from here? Um, yeah, very, very much need to be present. And I'm glad that it um, um, did such positive things for you because it did for me and I'm sure it does for a lot of people. Yeah, I think it's it's funny how, um, I mean, I think we both have kind of a, a, a whole life switch due to what we were forced to do during the pandemic. Um, yeah. But even despite that, it's so funny to look at how things just change and are kind of out of your control to an extent. As long as you're giving mm -hmm. whatever it is you're doing, like you're all, that's your part of the control. But it's so funny, like even, you know, whatever it was at the time, music... Uh, for a long time was like the number one thing. And then now, now I'm in a position where I'm reconnecting with so many parts of myself that I have neglected since college, you know? Right. It's so yeah. interesting to, to relive that. But, um, no, so tell me a little bit like, so pre pandemic, what is Diane? <laughs> <laughs> How did you come oh. up with it? What's the roots <laughs> of it? You know, let's, let's talk about Diane. Yeah. Um, so after I'd been in Toronto for a while and like did all the classes and, you know, uh, joined the team, the improv and sketch teams and blah, blah, blah. After a while, you start to produce, you know, you're you either get on other people's shows or you produce your own once you get a little bit more confident. And um, I fell in love with solo sketch. I fell in love with solo performance in theater school, but solo sketch was very interesting 
to me, I love doing character monologues um, on my own and and other things like that. So then I thought I would challenge myself and do a show. Um, I asked a director to join me, Devin Highland, and uh, I named it Diane because every character in the show's name was Diane, and the whole, the whole, um, and they're all different characters. But the whole uh, premise was that, like, the first Diane needs to figure out which Diane she's going to be that day, and then we go, and then it's like a sketch show with a bunch of different characters, and at the end. Um, she makes her decision. But that was the first show I did. It was in 2019. And uh, it was just a really great experience. And then I took it to some festivals. It was very well received, was, right? I mean, it was not. I mean, I, I think it's like the first solo show in 15 years to win that Best of Fest at the Toronto Festival. I mean, that's how was that for you also as a woman and a comedian to to have that sort of success with your first show like that? Oh, um, it was really special. Uh, it was a really, really, I remember it. Uh, it's hard to look back now because so much has happened, but I remember that time being such a special memory uh, because I had worked so hard for so long and um, I ended up making a show that I really wanted to make and that felt good for me to perform as opposed to trying to do something that I thought other people would like, which has always been the marker for me. Sometimes when I look back and I remember times where I created things for other people or made or presented myself in a way that I thought was funny, it, it's always best to just do what feels good. And that was the first time I ever really did that. And um, the just the, the, the fact it was then well-received was just the cherry on top. I couldn't have been more proud and happy at that time yeah did your german mother give you some sort of acceptance with that <laughs> um yeah she did i think i think she loves like fat she loves um what's it called um like hard like if hard um markers of success does that make sense i think all parents appreciate when something i think so like too. undeniable you know yeah um, yeah but I, um, I wanted to ask actually with with something like diane um comparing styles of performance would you say that doing it let's say you do it five nights in a row at something like the festival that you're about to do um is it more in the vein of a play where it's very scripted and you stick to what you know is going to work because you've practiced it and beaten it to like this perfect sculpture or is it a bit more in the vein of stand-up where you allow small changes to be improvised in the moment each time um, is it annoying if I say it's both because a sketch, <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> it's very scripted and, um, jokes are written and we know what's happening at all times, but then there are also sketches that are meant to be fully improvised, uh, uh, uh th um, with a structure I see. or there's a lot, or there's audience participation. So that's also, uh, in a large sense improvised. So some sketches are incredibly um sturdy and um maybe some jokes or delivery changes here and there based on the night right um but others are meant to be changed and I, that's what i love about sketch comedy is how flexible it is like if something's not working you can change it if something happens in the world like say you have a sketch about harry styles and he does something that day that's like everyone's like oh my god he lost this award then you can be like 
put it in the show because sketch comedy is about the like the here and the now and the relatability. Um, so um, that's what I love about it. So it's both. But it is a fully produced show. So you, you it just some things can change. Yeah. So you basically you sculpt windows to allow yourself in these pieces to improvise. And the rest of it is like the sculpture, basically. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever had more of a passion for uh, going into writing, for example, like writing for a, someone else's show or writing for And this is just an example, but like being the monologue writer for a late night show or has your passion from that second city show been front of camera on stage oh yeah performance um and even better for me if i can write for myself um i i enjoy writing for other people but sometimes and this is maybe laziness on my part or something i have yet to really master is um i like to write i know what i want a delivery to be or i know um what this who this character is and you wouldn't really read that on the page you would only know it um if you were in my head and i have a hard time explaining that which is sometimes why which is i think why i love to perform by myself so much um again i'm not saying that's a good thing but that's just the reality yeah do you when you're when you're performing in your um in your videos but also on your um on your plays and your performances do you feel more confident being able to control all aspects on your own or are there people you've worked with before who you can imagine going forward and doing something with so um when it comes to videos i like to be completely alone Uh, most of the time i i have such a hard time with um with control uh i imagine maybe one day that could come bite me in the ass i'm not sure but i i really just enjoy doing it by myself um for stage shows it's impossible to do it alone i mean you could but um i have a director and then also a tech director who designs the lights and the sound yeah, um yeah. i meant i meant like on the stage st- with you yeah yeah oh 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 no by myself <laughs> okay okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Okay, no, that made it easier. No, no problem. Sorry. No, but I, yeah. I like I haven't had as, uh, any like any experience in the same way that you have with being on stage like that. But with video content, I'm exactly the same way. I feel like yeah. um I feel like I can't be the level of ridiculous that I need to be in front of someone else. I completely agree. And I think it's hard to do that unless you started from day 1 you know, with that person and you've grown together. Right. I have to, I have to be a lot. I like, I can't even have my husband be in the same room. Mm-hmm. I can't even. And yeah, same, it's, yeah. um, yeah, I, yeah, totally can be completely free uh, to just let yourself fail or like try something crazy. Right. Or, yeah. Cause yeah. a lot of that stuff, I mean, maybe we do it similar in that way. We're like a lot of good ideas that have me laughing at myself is something that I had did not plan at all but comes from something yeah. that didn't quite click, mm-hmm. you know? 100%. Um, okay, so that was Diane. You had a lot of success with that. You 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 bridged the gap, you built this alone, and you got some, some return on that. Um, what's next in that story for you? Is it um, going into pandemic, entering this world where the theater is no longer available to you, and that leads into videos, and then that leads into Francis? That's totally right. Yeah, Diane, um, I, I, I 
for for context, I I had received that award um, from the Toronto Sketch Comedy Festival like in March of 2020, which you know is, as everyone knows. What happened? I don't remember. It was the coolest um, month of all. <laughs> it was the coolest month of all. And so I remember being absolutely devastated at the time, as everybody was, and just traumatized by what was happening. But, you know, everything shut down. And I felt like I was on a, my own little trajectory with them. Um, I mean, I wasn't making a living, but I was learning and I was doing shows and I was taking my steps. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. And then COVID hit and... Um, everything went away like everything shut down like i'm sure that you also maybe were the same way but i used to go do improv almost every night of the week i would hang out with the community all the time and that and it all went away and so there was a moment of that uh, and trying to find <laughs> trying to find a way to because i'd been at school so then i was also finding a job i got a remote job um what was the job you're doing what was the job you're doing at the time real estate marketing real estate marketing what mm, is that yeah. what does that what, okay in your briefest possible way what does that mean okay so there's agents you know real estate agents and then there's listings and so i worked for a company that was like a real estate company that had a bunch of agents in it and i would do marketing for their per for them personally but also for the company's listings so social media okay. web but also print design um and and that whole thing so what is, what i did is, that for a year what is like the agent promotion in something like this compared to promoting the property like are you doing like were were you one of the like the corporate TikTok social media managers who was like getting a real estate agent to do like a trending dance or something or how did you view it at the time because I see that all the time and it's so crazy yeah no it was less that and more like um so when you when you because agents are so personal personal hires for people you know you, that people have to they have to appeal to somebody who's trying to buy or sell very personally so it was very much about building a personal brand for them and and what would their angle be because who is their target audience and then in that way it'd be like um, producing video interviews uh, for them to post on social media or um, copy under their photos or uh, e newsletters writing their copy for newsletters in sort in the in the style or of language that would be appropriate for 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 their brand and who they were trying to target were you like pretty successful at that like they liked what you did or did you have some trial and error in that world um there was some trial and error uh but it was very uh, like regular um nine to five and uh, i i i quit because of social because of what because of the things that were growing in my in my social media world so i wasn't i wasn't fired yeah yeah so I, no, I, I, guess, I, I, I assumed okay. you left yeah. because your career was blowing up yeah sure <laughs> how like how was that feeling um, for you and what was your parents reaction quitting like a reliable job for your acting and your digital creation and your writing how was that for them because i i, I want to hear that yeah so i had been making videos for a while all throughout the same time that I had this this day job um, and it wasn't until I got a social media agent and then I signed for a couple of brand deals 
that I was doing that at the same time. So then I thought, you know what? I am making an like I am making a living with this with my own social media stuff. And I really don't want to stay in this day job right now. Or it wasn't like my dream job anyway. So then I gave myself, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try to do social media full time for the summer and see how it goes. And if it just completely burns away or if it completely like is a bust then I'll just get another job in the in the fall so I told myself this plan and then I told my parents this plan and they were like okay good plan and so it was uh it was about being able to prove that I could it was about being able to prove that I could sustain myself um having already done that instead of being like I'm gonna quit the day job and see if I can sustain myself. It's more like I can for this time and I'm going to try it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, your audience was already growing enough where you were making money from these partnerships and this was post Diane. So your parents knew that you had, uh, you had the, what do you say? Like not the wherewithal, but you had the, the, the gusto, you had the meat, you know, you could do it. It just depends if people were grabbing onto it and they were. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so there was no, I mean, we had a conversation about it, but I don't recall any significant pushback, especially because the day job wasn't like, um, you know, a dream job for me. Sure, sure. I mean, they Mm -hmm. they knew that. Um, It was like pandemic was so interesting in that way for me, because for me, it was concerts, you know, it was like really just chasing music. And then that all came to an end. And then I was working on a new album during the downtime but I was working at this uh, elementary school. I always had day jobs. All like, I'm only now in a position where I don't have one for the first time. And, Congratulations! Uh, thank you. Like official. That's free- a huge. That's huge. It's it, like yeah. And and I know you did this. I think you did a post last year where you've like officially announced. I think with the audience photo. Maybe it was earlier this year. I think yeah. it was last year, right? Um, but it yeah. was just like I saw that, and I knew like it, it is just when we're creative people like we are and there's this inescapable itch right for the things that we need to do whether that's in your case being on stage or if we have even subconscious goals somehow for the attention or for making people laugh because we need to see that you know whatever that might be um, or just the money just those cha-ching bags you know whatever whatever (laughs) the goal is it's still like um, such like the most rewarding feeling to finally get to the point where, and like you said, in your case as well, being comfortable enough to take the risk to stop the dependency, Yeah, you know, on the other thing. And um, yeah, I'm so, it's just like, and it like, and it's so like, it makes sense in your case because you, you, you had this theater background, you had improv background, you were already writing for yourself. You had an education in this world. You had already done a stage play that was like an award-winning show. You were making these videos. It makes total sense that it leads to a point where like that becomes your career. And that's what's so, it's so cool to see that trajectory. Like, you know, just like, it makes sense. I'm still reeling from the fact that whatever I'm doing now with these videos is not at all, not 1% what I had planned for most of my life for myself. Right. You know, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, um, I'm basically just like following the kind of just following who I think is doing good things and like kind of getting inspired and just trying things. 
Yeah, and you gotta. That's really you. You just gotta feel what, go for what feels good and follow your gut. Where, it's cliche, but it's just the truth. Where were you in terms of audience? Um, I mean, and we also don't have to talk about this if you don't want. But where were you at audience number wise when uh, an agency approached you to to work together on brand deals? Do you remember? Oh, um, I approached them. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I was at around, I think 200,000 on TikTok and less than 100,000 on Instagram. Okay. And was yeah. your, because um, the experience I had with these two platforms was that um, when I finally got TikTok, again, like during pandemics, when I started doing things differently, the growth there was so substantially faster than the growth I was ever, ever having on Instagram. Yeah, but, but again, different topics, right? I was starting to do comedy and like um, observational stuff and making fun of German language. Um, and then Instagram was very, very slow, like snail. Did you yeah. have a similar story or was it pretty equal? Oh, 100%. I, um, TikTok was so fast and so much all at once. Um, and then Instagram, magically, I think it wasn't until like even half a year or more later also started growing. And I don't know if they did anything different with their internal stuff or their algorithm when pushing reels and stuff. But yeah, uh, TikTok was so, so much faster. Uh, but now they're the, pretty much the same for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think Now it's like, uh, for me, Instagram is a little more than double for TikTok, which was crazy because... Um, right. I mean, TikTok used to be like five times more than whatever yeah, I was doing. Yeah. It was crazy. Like I guess you said there's yeah. just like an algorithmic change in whatever they're starting to push. Yeah. I don't know. No, I don't know. Um so how about Francis? Where did you get the idea for it? And you know, is it like what is yeah, tell me about Francis. <laughs> so I always knew that I wanted to go do a second sh uh show after COVID. And I wanted to um the name comes from I wanted to continue the trend of doing first names for titles, um, except Francis is just the name I've always loved, and it kind of felt like it stuck. Um, but for this show, instead of it being just a pure sketch show, I wanted to challenge myself and include a narrative arc on top of that as well. Um, so I started working on it uh, at the tail end of the closures, when people were starting to uh, say that theaters might open back up again, you know, sprinklings. And then when they did, I booked the theater for August, 2022. And then I did it last year. Uh, how was it for you, like writing wise to build this arc? Was that more difficult? Was it a good challenge? How was that? It was uh, hugely difficult. Um, mm -hmm. It was the hardest thing I've ever done creatively. Um, my whole summer was um, a disaster. <laughs> Personally and creatively, uh, academically, socially, culturally. It was, I had a really hard time. <laughs> um, but it's kind of always how it goes. It was such a challenge for me, uh, but I'm so happy that I got through it because I'm really happy with the what came out at the other end. Um, yeah, it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. But you, um, when you got, when you completed it, when you got that arc finished up, 
when was it? Was it the first performance? Was it the test run? Or was it just, you know, at home on your computer where you knew it worked? Um, that I didn't know until opening night. Yeah. Because I didn't even, I was so um, scared. I didn't even run previews. I was like, I can't show anyone the show before opening night because I'm afraid that if they don't like it, that I'm going to never do it. I, I don't know. It was a really weird um, uh, mindset to have, but I didn't know it was going to work until opening night. Um, and then it did, but changes still had to be made and it's mm -hmm. constantly changing. Yeah. I was going to ask what percentage has probably changed since the first reveal, if you think. If I think, um, I think probably 20% has changed. Yeah. I mean, the main foundation and structure is still there, um, but we've swapped out sketches, we've changed jokes, we've cut it, it's been sliced. How would you compare yeah. your growth as a performer from Francis to Diane? Um, I think really big because I, my confidence has changed. Um, I've matured more as a performer, um, and I, I'm sure, and, and I think, because just the more you do it, the more, the better you get just through practice and I'm sure I hope my hope is that to look back at my time now in five years and think I've improved too like I, I think it, it the learning never never stops um I also think performing on stage is something that gets better with age and with like weight you know with the experiences that you have in your real life you just become more grounded and you just know your style more so I would say a big leap from Diane to Francis, um, with not without much work, but not not not. What am I trying to say? It took a lot of work. Still, it didn't happen naturally. But um, yeah, I'm very proud with, with the differences between the shows, and I hope to keep improving um, as future shows come along. Do you think that when you decide that Francis should come to an end of its run before you move on to the next project that you would do like a filmed performance of it for your website or for YouTube or a pay to watch situation for your fans who can't make it to the stage? That's such a good question. It's something that I've that's in the back of my mind and I don't really know. Um, it, it's been filmed. It's definitely not the sort of film quality I would like get people to pay for. Um, so then... I don't know. I think I have to tour it more and get it more, get it seen more before deciding to put it up. Like I'll, maybe I'll put some clips up or, or something, but I really love to keep it for the people who are there in the room. Yeah. It's just a different experience. Um, I, mean, I don't all, know if that sounds like, I mean, I think it also makes sense. All the racist jokes only make sense when you're there in the theater, you know? Because you collect the phones when they enter the theater. <laughs> That's right. Nobody can ever say what. And I make them sign NDAs. There's a lot of nudity. A lot. Just mostly. Like the photos are the only things that aren't nude about this whole show. Exactly. It's like I get dressed for the photos. Oh, you know me too well. You get dressed ironically. Yeah. Ironically. It's ironic to wear clothes. Yeah, exactly. I'm not wearing pants right now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you you did like a you did a um, an episode of what we do in the shadows uh, this great yeah. FX comedy. Do you have more on screen goals as opposed to on stage goals? Um, you know, I always thought that social media would be temporary, um, 
I love making videos for online videos. It's the best. I think as time goes on, I would love to transition more to more traditional and established media. But um, like my biggest dream, my dream of dreams is to be able to keep writing shows and touring shows and then deciding to like stop touring for a time and work on either someone else's project, like be in someone else's project or do my own. And whether that's social media or something else, um, we'll have to see. But um, yeah, I, I think touring and performing live is definitely my number one priority. It's There's nothing like that feeling. There's yeah. nothing like that yeah. feeling. The spotlight on, the audience enjoying it, hearing the, <laughs> feeling the room, like the buzz of the room. Yeah. There is nothing It's like a drug. That. It's a drug, definitely. It's a drug. Yeah. It's a drug. And I mean, you can, you can get kind of like, <laughs> you know, little mini doses of that with, you know, seeing reactions to videos or, you know, appearing in certain programs, if, whether that's TV or film and, you know, hearing, you know, people watching it. Oh, it's getting good reviews, whatever. Like you can get touches of that, but there's nothing like that live instantaneous reward of people clapping and singing along or, or, or you know or laughing in your case to to what you're giving you that instant gratification totally um also that instant non-gratification like you'll just instantly know if something worked or didn't and right. then you'll be able to change it with like social media and and, and pre-shooting and doing takes and everything it's like the people that like it will like it and but you um you know, you won't necessarily know immediately whether something works or not. And in the room, it's undeniable. It's like objective. Right. I know they say comedy is subjective, but I think in the room with a group of people, totally objective. Like it either is funny or it's not. It's very, it's very binary. There's either a yeah. laughing human or not. Yes. And it really, yeah, yeah it hits everything. Uh, yeah. Drama. Is that still something that you would like to try and dip your toe in eventually, whether it's on stage or on screen for any thing? Um, I think I do a lot. I do a lot of that in the show because it just makes um, things better. Um, but I don't think so. I think I think comedy is where it's at. Maybe, but it's not in my it's not in my plan. Yeah. How about yeah. you? I could I could dig some drama. I can, I mm -hmm. can imagine. I th what I like is, um, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but I really like um, how Adam Sandler did like the early 2000s. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you, you can do your Happy Gilmore's, your Billy Madison's, your Mr. Yeah. D's, your Big Daddy's, but then do Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. You know? Or then go You're and right. do, you know, 51st States, but then do, um, uh, what's it called? Um, Spanglish. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, that's, you know, he's still a lovable, flawed person, but he's re he's trying. It feels authentic. Of course, later you have uncut gems, but like he, when he's in a more or even funny people from Apatow, like he's he's funny and funny people, but he's also dying. So there's a lot of yeah. heartfelt, intimate scenes with him that you you love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think especially stuff like um Something you wouldn't consider a hard comedy, but it's, I mean, it, like a, a White Lotus, that would be a dream to be in, in that kind of a show where, I mean, you've got characters that are so character that could almost be sketch characters, but the narrative and the story and they're played so earnestly, 
I think that's the kind of dramedy I would enjoy doing for sure. Yeah. Um, that would be a dream to do some sort of satire like that. Oh yeah. God. Is there anything else besides we can, we can wrap things up soon, but do you have anything else besides white Lotus that you've seen recently that you suggest? Um, we just started watching the other two. Oh, um, with Molly Shannon, right? Yes. And it's, the writing is really good. I was, um, I'd heard good things about it, but we kind I, I don't know why I never really put it on until randomly the other day. And just immediately you can tell that the writing and um, the writing room is so on. Um, that's one I've been really enjoying lately. That's awesome. I was trying to think if I had yeah. anything to, to suggest. I mean, have you seen Dave? No. That first season of Dave is pristine. I mean, it changes okay. a bit. The, the tone and his goals change a bit from the second season on, but that first season is so good. Or oh, and for, cool. for, for serious things, have you seen Severance by any chance? Yes. I was actually, that was on my list to tell you. <sighs> Severance. Severance is one of those shows. Oh my God. I haven't uh, care. I just care about all the characters so much. Yes. And it's a incredible show. Oh, Must man. watch for sure. I'm, 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 yeah. I haven't been like yeah. so in need of another season as yeah. much as I was for, um, for Severance. Yeah. And another actor who is known mainly for comedic roles, like even maybe two dimensional comedic roles. I don't know if that's a, a wrong thing to say, but he just nails it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Adam Scott. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, that was also an impressive turn for him seeing him in that position. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Laura, um, we can wrap everything up here. I know we have to go, but uh, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's been so much fun to get to know you. And I know that, um, you know, your followers are going to be so excited to to get to know a bit more about, you know, who you are. And uh, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we managed to do this. It, it's been such a wonderful, like we were just talking, just a wonderful conversation. You're a great interviewer. Thank you for having me. Look out, baby. The saints are coming through. And it's all over now. Artsy Fartsy Immigrants, ein Podcast von John Prince und Moritz Batscheider, produziert für M94.5.